that was kind of all right for us because we didn't know any different before lockdown because we didn't meet before lockdown. So we sort of just spoke over text and whatnot. And I think it worked as well because we kind of just got to know each other slowly and like took our own pace because we couldn't even meet up. Yeah, it was so definitely like, less pressure, I would say. Yeah, because like, I feel like we would have rushed it if we didn't have lockdown. Yeah. Um, so especially for me, what I've done in the past is like you rush into things and whereas we got to know each other slowly, like quite well. And then coming out of lockdown. Starting me and up. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was quite nice. The uh, most recent situation I can think of was probably school, just because I think hormones were like flying everywhere. You think everyone's quite attractive. You're like, yeah, there's this one positive thing about him and you just like run with it. Now in adult life, it's a bit more difficult because obviously you have to be a bit more guarded. Like there's, you know, marriage and things to think about. So I guess in terms of a crush, that's my last experience. Um, Maybe just thinking someone was cute, like giggling with them, talking about like sharpening pencils, I don't know, all the, all the usual stuff. Um, and I guess it just fizzled out. As with all childhood crushes, I guess you just go through phases of every week or month thinking someone else is cute and nothing really happening, nothing flourishing out of it, but yeah. How do you go from being in a crush to being in a relationship well? Oh, I'd say I'd say that was kind of difficult for us because yeah. we had like it was like a really long talking stage and there was loads of times where like you could probably make it official but I was it was like kind of nerve wracking I find it a bit cringy like you know what I mean like yeah. saying those words and kind of stuff but you know I went to Greenwich Park on a nice little sunset you know so I thought this is, this has to be the moment. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Thanks for joining with us through our Your People series. Uh, welcome to you if you're watching this in Shoreham or at the Villas or Oasis or are watching this online. We've reached the week in our series where we're talking about your crush which is slightly a tongue-in-cheek uh, title. But we're looking at the romantic relationships that we might have in life. Next week, we'll be looking at the topic of marriage. But this is uh, particularly on the sort of romantic relationship we might have before marriage or outside of marriage, um, perhaps. And it's rather strange to talk about that topic. Let's just be upfront about that. But I've also, to be honest, added another layer of weirdness to this by picking this passage to preach from, from Matthew uh, chapter 19. Because what we've just heard is Jesus having a discussion with people about the topic of divorce. And so when we're thinking about, you know, romantic relationships, you think that's quite a strange place to start. Well, let me explain why I've chosen uh, to speak from this passage. It's really because the place that the question that Jesus asked comes from is actually a similar place that we might start when we think about romantic relationships. Okay, Jesus being asked a question, and the question is like, what is acceptable in terms of divorcing? 
okay? And in other words, they're saying, where, how far can we lower the bar? There's things that we want to do. Is that allowed? Is that okay? They're coming from that sort of place in asking the question. And when we think about romantic relationships, when we in the city that we live in, if Jesus was here and we're asking him a question, I think the questions that we would ask if we're in the church or not in the church would come from a similar place in terms of with romantic relationships, the general consensus is we should just be allowed to do what we want to do. And so if we're asking Jesus, you know, Jesus, he's a nice guy, he's a loving guy. Jesus, we just want to do relationships in a way that is suiting us. Like, are you cool with that? You, you, okay, you okay with that? Is that okay? If, if we want to have casual relationships or if we want to have long-term relationships or if we, whatever in between, we just want something that suits us and it's just right for us. You, you're okay with that, yeah? The way that Jesus answers the question he's asked, I think is also the way that Jesus would respond to that type of question. And the way he does respond is not to give a moralistic answer in terms of saying, well, no, don't do this, do this, do this, and, and talk about the practicalities. What Jesus does in answering the question is he draws a big picture. He actually points people back to huge themes about the nature of God and the nature of people. And he says that, let me repeat it again from verses four to six. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, Jesus is showing a pattern of family life. He also acknowledges in the context of this passage that because we live in a broken world, that our experience might not match up to this. And that, don't overinterpret to think, therefore, Jesus is condemning me if my situation does not match with this. OK, that's, let's not focus on that. Jesus is upholding the sanctity of marriage and also saying, if we're going to understand these things, we need to understand where these things come from, and that is God himself. And that is the journey that we're going to go through today, unpacking these verses to see what God says about himself and about how that plays out in the romantic relationships that we have. And that's what I want to appeal to you today, to look up. That's what Jesus does here. He says, look up, not look to the side, look up. So let's get into it then. How should we respond to our crush? Someone we like what should we do? We say we're not married, we want a romantic relationship. How, what should we do? Well, let me say, first of all, if you are someone who doesn't follow Jesus, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're asking me that question, you know, what does Jesus say about my relationship? I would say, let's not start there, okay? The danger of this message, and so I want to be upfront with this, the danger of this message, I'm going to talk about, yes, I'm going to talk about uh, romantic relationships and how we conduct ourselves, but the danger is you hear a moralistic message and you hear or infer from what I'm saying that if you were to become a Christian, what I'm asking you to do is change the way you're doing relationships in order to come to Jesus. And that is not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of this church. That's not what we want you to hear. What I want you to hear today is I want you to see something of Jesus in what I'm saying. But when each one of us meets Jesus, what we discover is that Jesus meets us where we're at. He doesn't ask us to change. He meets us where we're at, but then brings an inside out transformation. And that's, that's what happens when we meet Jesus. And don't, so don't get this 
the wrong way around. I, in one sense, let me be really clear. I'm not expecting you to follow some of the advice and wisdom that I'm giving in this passage. You need to meet Jesus first. And I, I pray that you see Jesus uh, in what I have to say today. But so for those of you who do follow Jesus, the response is, is a different one. Okay, if, if you're asking me as your pastor, how, how do we do these romantic relationships in our, in our life? Well, okay, let me, let me begin with just a concise summary. We're not going to be able to touch everything today, but here's a concise summary of what I would say to someone who's asking that question. How should I do relationships? Okay, number one, Jesus gives us two ways to live in terms of singleness or being married. So anything in between that is a transition from singleness to marriage. That's the first shaping principle. Secondly, the context of the Christian life is to be worked out in the, in the community of the church. And so marriage, uh, anyone that you are being married to needs to be someone who is also a Christian. So you can walk that out together. The third thing I would say is therefore, if we're thinking about singleness and marriage as the two biblical categories, if you want to start a relationship, you must be willing and potentially ready to be married because that's the destination. Somewhere in between is not a destination in of itself. Four, if there is someone that you like, your crush, for example, I would say, okay, ask them clearly. And if they say no, respect that. Number five, if you do start a relationship with them, understand that that relationship is a process of discovering whether it's right for the two of you to spend your life together as a married couple, because that's what Jesus is saying here about marriage. So take it at an appropriate pace. Don't rush into it. And also don't abandon other relationships in your life. Don't become dependent on that person actually seek other people's advice and wisdom on how to do that relationship well. Number six, as your affection and love even for this other person grows, it's appropriate that you will express that affection for them, but not sexually because God has designed sex for marriage and that's the place where it should be. And then seventh and finally, in that relationship, continue to seek God for his wisdom about your relationship as to whether marriage is right. And if it isn't, then bring that relationship to an end. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, even though it would be painful. But if it is, then get married. There you go. Now that process can be longer or shorter as a, just an incidental uh, aside. My, uh, my grandparents... I'm pretty sure that my grandpa had only met my grandma uh, like twice before he proposed, like proposed on the second time of them talking essentially, and they got married quite soon after that. Now they've been married for like 60 odd years, so it's worked out. I'm not advocating that is a good way to do this, um, but I would probably say that we probably instinctively lead on the longer side of a process uh, than the shorter side, uh, but that's just, uh, just by way of a side. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of the time that we have today explaining why anyone should follow that, frankly, weird advice that I've just given. I recognize that that is completely out of step with every other set of advice you'd look for probably in any other context apart from a uh, Christian and look, looking at the Bible. It is, it is crazy. It's weird. It's different. 
Why would anyone follow this seemingly narrow path? Well, if you read the Gospels of Jesus, so many times Jesus is appealing to people and setting out a narrow path. And if you get to know Jesus, what you find is, yeah, it is a narrow path. It does seem at first restrictive and challenging. Who can, who can do that? Who can walk this way? But as we get to know Jesus, what we see is that it is a path that is actually life-giving and joy-giving and fulfilling. And that is the invitation that Jesus invites us down. Trust me in this and you will be blessed in it. And so let's spend the rest of the time appealing to you on that basis. By looking at what Jesus says, let's, let's, hear, let's look again at what Jesus said. He, where does he begin? He begins with these words where he talks about he who created them from the beginning. And the first thing I want to say on this is romance originates in God. Why does Jesus start here? Well, Jesus is showing us that to understand this area of life, just like every area of life, we need to start with God. He frames our understanding of these things. The Bible says that God is love. 1 John chapter 4. And that's quite a claim. Notice that it doesn't say God is loving as if it's a characteristic. It says God is love. What does that mean? Well, it means that love... If we experience love, it's not just something that, that God has invented. It's something that is part of who he is. How does that make sense? Well, if you understand the God of the Bible, something about him, you, want, you see that God is Trinity. One God, three persons. And in that community of God, Father, Son and Spirit, they are eternally and perfectly loving one another. And when we understand that, we understand what it means. But God is love. There is Father and Son and Spirit loving one another. And this is where love that we experience originates from. That love is not just something that God invented. Hey, have, hey there's a little gift for you. Have that. No, no. Even in Christian, Christians, you can, you can think that. No, no. Love that we experience is actually an overflow of God himself into his creation. Love, romance, originates in God. And that means when we experience something of romance and love and that type of relationship, actually we're experiencing something of God and we should understand that that points us to God and who he is. You see, this, this, this secular world, the world, if you don't believe in God, you, God's not in the category, doesn't understand this. But actually it leads us to a bit of a confusing uh, place when we think about love and romance. Because in one sense, without God, what is love? What is feelings of being in love or whatever? Well, it's just our, essentially our brain, the biology, things going on that are just sort of tricking us to feel a certain way and do a certain thing. And it's just things firing in our brain. So that's on the one hand. But then you think about it also through human experience, the profound effect and influence and fascination of love in human existence. Look at every single uh, society, every ancient civilizations to all the way through to, you know, reality TV that's on now. It's like, we're fascinated. We're fascinated with love. Ever been in love? It's one of the most profound human experiences we can have. And from the Christian point of view, we have a reason for that. It feels like a transcendental experience. Well, yeah, because love is pointing us, transcending us to God who is love. That's where, that's where it comes from. 
And there's, so, there's a bit of an irony sometimes, especially in a society that we live in, that so many people say, well, I don't want religion. I don't want God of the Bible or whatever, because actually I want to pursue love and sex and relationships and that sort of thing. You know, there's a story of a young woman and a priest who are having a conversation. And the woman is a woman of the world, wants to live her own way, wants to do her own thing. And she says, well, religion is only a substitute for sex. Sex is what human, human experience is all about. That's the pinnacle of it. And the priest replies, he says, I still prefer to believe that sex is a substitute for religion and that the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. We have a deep desire for romance and love. And actually it points us to the nature of God, the one who created us. Romance originates in God. That should shape our understanding, first of all. Secondly, let's move on to something else that Jesus says. When he talks about human relationships, he says there's you know, a single person and then you are joined in one flesh union with someone else. And in that, Jesus is describing marriage. But what I want to say on this point is that romance displays God. It displays God. When you look at the Bible, one of the things, I guess in one sense, one of the reasons it was tricky, which passage should I go from in terms of preaching on this topic? Because it doesn't really directly address like how you should do dating or, you know, um, romance, romantic relationships that are not married. Because it has these categories, singleness and, and marriage. And it holds these two things up and we have to conclude that anything in between is a transition phase between the two. But I don't believe that it's because that phase of life or that phase or type of relationship is unimportant to God. No, not at all. But it is largely something that we need to culturally work out the practicalities from, okay? And it's important that I say that because sometimes on this topic, uh, we can get the idea that there is a Christian way to do dating. That's like, you know, there's these set of rules and set of practices that we have to do. And sometimes we can, even Christians and Christian teachers can get in the way of thinking about that and come up with different sort of rules and things that the Bible doesn't actually say. You know, someone might say, well, you know, you really need to involve your parents in the process or the guy should take the initiative over the girl or, you know, don't kiss or, or, or you know, kissing's fine or date for six months. Or, and we, there might be some wisdom in all those things. Let, let, uh, of course, there, there might be. But be, just be careful with those restrictions. And we've not got time to go into the details of that. You know, someone might say, well, you know, there's no Internet dating in the Bible. Therefore, you, know, you shouldn't Internet date. Well... Okay, but there's also no flushable toilets in the Bible either, but we don't see you avoiding them for the same reason. No, no, every generation has to work out how to apply the principles in the Bible in their context. And the practical, your practicality for each generation is going to look different. The way that people meet one another changes all the time. And let's not get hung up on some practicalities and think they are more Christian than other, other things if they're not shaped by the principle. You can start a relationship with someone on the other side of the world because of technology. That's not wrong. We just need to think biblically in terms of the principle, how it's going to shape that relationship. But what are the principles then? Well, the main principle is that Jesus holds up here that marriage is marriage and dating isn't. 
You see, when what we see here is not Jesus giving a step-by-step instruction about how someone goes from being single to being married, but at the same time, he doesn't say, well, you know, you leave from being singleness and just dabble. Just try people on. Just look for some experiences that you might like. And when you're ready to settle down, then, you know, maybe you might want to be thinking about marriage. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus talks about this one flesh union, which, yes, is pointing to, to sex, but it's not just that. It's actually marriage speaking about something of God and helping us to think about the way that God loves. You see, God loves in a committed way. God loves in a self-giving way. And that is how we are to understand these things. And we live in a do-as-you-feel kind of society that takes elements of what God puts together in marriage and says, well, no, can we have that? Can we just have sex, you know, and not have, just not a marriage? We just have it with whoever we want, as long as we consent, you know, not hurting anyone. That's, that's okay, isn't it? Or, you know, let, we don't need to get married. We can just live together. You know, just literally right behind me, there's uh, some... Across the road, there's some building work going on. They're building huge sets of uh, flats, months and months of uh, construction. And imagine if you saw a building that you thought, oh, that's an impressive building. And you oh, they've got really nice arches over the door and the windows are spectacular and the staircases are really great. Imagine you think, well, let's just take those elements out of that and just build a new house over here. I'm just going to take that, rip that staircase out and we'll have that and we'll have the windows and we'll have the arches and we'll just make a nice little house. Now, when you see how something is put together, huge building, there is so much that hold strength, things that hold it together that the, the bits that look impressive are built around in order to hold the things together. And and what, what I'm trying to describe here is God is, wants to bless us and give us marriage where all these things come together. Because in God, these things do come together. With God, love and commitment go together. That's what the Bible says. When we think of God, we think of him loving. What's the act of God's love? God so loved that he gave his son. Marriage demonstrates that God is committed in the way he loves. With God, love and commitment go together. Intimacy and honour go together. Romance and sacrifice go together. Pleasure and faithfulness go together. And our, our so culture, the cultural pressure, the society around us wants to take little bits, take little bits of the building that look nice, and then it wonders why when we take little bits, that things start to break down quite quickly. You know, when, when maybe we can just have sex without commitment. And we think it's, it's, it's going to be beneficial to us. It can be helpful to us. We think, oh, we can have everything. We have our cake and eat it too. And then we have, end up with broken relationships and fragile relationships and fractured relationships. Maybe we can just, uh, you know, just let's just live together. Not commit for life, but let's just live together. And you might say, okay, that is a good step in terms of being committed, but we're leaving our, the option open. It's just easy to walk away. And God doesn't love like that. God doesn't say, well, I'll love you today. We'll see how tomorrow goes. God said, I gave myself to you. 
And when we try and build something that's more fragile than what God has put together in marriage, it's going to fall apart and it's happening all around us all the time. Cohabiting couples, families who have kids, 19%, they represent 19% of all sort of family units, but they represent 50% of the family breakdown. We think it's good, but actually it's leading to more breakdown. And when that happens, we suffer, our partner suffers, our kids actually most of all suffer from that. And it's part of the reason for that is because God has designed these things to go together. Yes, to enjoy someone else, to enjoy love and intimacy in that time in the context of being committed to someone and giving yourself to someone else. But our society just, in, because we've so elevated the individual, what you want, your preferences, do the things that you want to do, we've elevated that so much. We don't want to have that conversation about the consequences. We don't want to say, you see, it's unpopular, it's unthinkable now to say to young people, how about this? How about instead of messing around with relationships, you find someone and you commit to them for your life? And how about you marry them and you promise to love them every single day? And how about you raise kids in that environment to do the same? And how about when things are tough, you work it out? It's almost like you can't say that anymore. There's a novel idea. Be committed to one another. That's how relationships should be. It's good for you. It's good for others. It's good for kids. It's good for society. And it's the way that God has made marriage. And you know what? You know this is true. For all our bluster about the self and what we want. Actually, we, know, we actually want this. Whatever our background is, we want this. What's better than a casual relationship with someone, a, a, a casual experience of love? What about someone who commits to love you for the rest, every single day of their life? What about rather than an experience of intimacy, someone who doesn't just want to be intimate with you, but actually wants to honour you and respect you as a person? What about not just romantic feelings, but someone who is willing to sacrifice for you, to give up other things, to be in exclusive relationship to, with you? What is better than a moment of pleasure, but that someone who faithfully wants to commit to you in faith to bring you joy and pleasure to your life without guilt and without uncertainty and without insecurity. Friends, this is what Christian marriage is about. This is what a Christian couple does. You say, yes, I'm all in. I'll give myself to you. You give yourself to me. And it's beautiful. And it shows God because that is what God is like. God loves and he gives himself. And this is why if you're in, in this church and you say to me as, as your pastor, well, is it, it's okay if we sleep together, isn't it? We're not married, but it's okay. I'll say, don't do that. Can we just, can we move? It makes some financial sense for us to move in together. You know, we're not married yet. We're thinking about it. Can we just move in together? For, I say, don't do that. Can we stay over at each other's houses? Can, can we go on holiday together? No, I say, don't do that. And you say, why? Why can't we? We're not hurting anyone. And it's not because this is the Christian rule. The Bible says you should not go on a holiday together. I just say, that's not what God's like. That's not what God's like. He doesn't pretend. He doesn't give a little bit of himself and hold other bits back. 
if you are in that relationship, if you're ready to give yourself, then give yourself, get married. And if you're not ready, then build a friendship, build a relationship where you're both ready to make that step. And then when you're ready to make that step, then be all in with one another. But don't pretend, don't go half. That's not what God's like. My appeal to you, Christian, is to remember that following Jesus is about becoming like Jesus. My appeal is to remind you that godliness is God-likeness. You're made in the image of God to actually reflect what God is like. And so when we take without giving, and when we love without committing, and when we choose a moment of selfishness over a commitment to faithfulness, in our behaviour, you know what we're doing? We're saying something about God that is not true. We're saying God's like this because I'm made in the image of No, he's not like this. That's not the way that God loves. And this is relevant for us whether we are single, whether we are married, or whether we're in between those. We are all prone to take shortcuts in, in this area of life when it comes to love and romance, sex, relationships. We're sinfully, selfishly prone to take a shortcut here and a shortcut there. And the question I want to ask us is, does your conduct in this area reflect your selfish preferences or does it reflect the glory of God and what he's like? I'm not, I'm not here appealing to you, asking you to follow a set of rules. I'm asking you to look up at what God is like and say, he is good. I want that. I want to reflect him. I want to be like he is. Now, friends, I know I've run out over time here, but I want to say one final thing from what Jesus says here because it's so, so important. The third thing I want to say is that romance is the doing of God. Jesus also says God joins people together. That's what he says in this passage. And what Jesus is doing, he's upholding the sanctity and the holiness of marriage. And as he's doing that, from this passage, we see it says large crowds gathered towards him. And then he started saying stuff like this. And if you read the Gospels, the more he says challenging stuff like this, the more the crowds disappear. And then soon the crowds turn against him. You know what, friends, we can think when I hear a message like this, we can have the same response. You think when Jesus is upholding what marriage is, in all its integrity and purity and godliness. And we think, who can achieve that? Maybe that's how you're feeling right now. I'm, I'm, I failed in this area. What, what do I do? Well, I want to encourage us with this line that Jesus says, what God has joined together. God is doing something. This reminds us that marriage is not just a picture of God but a picture of the gospel where God does something. The works of Jesus. God is involved in bringing a husband and a wife together, but that's a reflection of God bringing himself to us. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul quotes this same verse from Genesis like Jesus does. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 
And Paul says this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Listen to me. Jesus does set such a high bar because Jesus calls us to be like God. But also, he knows that we fail and we fall short in our attempts to be like God. And that is why God became like us. That's the gospel. Yes, God calls us to be like him. He's become like us. That's what the cross is about. God so loved the world. I've already, told, I've already mentioned that. God so loved the world, he gave his son. Yes, that's true. But you know what that verse goes on to say? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He died on the cross to forgive everyone who fails to meet that standard. He's come, not for the saints, not for the people that do it perfectly, but the sinners, the ones who fall short. And so, where do we finish? We say, who needs Jesus today? Who needs Jesus today? He's come. He's come because we couldn't be like God. He came to be like us, to take on our sin so that we can be forgiven, we can be healed, we can be transformed Don't leave today without receiving the grace of Jesus, the love of God. The God who is love has come to you in your mess, in your sin, to heal, to transform, to bring us into life and in relationship with him. Jesus, we so thank you that you have come not to condemn that we might have life. And I want to pray for each one of us. All of us, Lord, have fallen short. But Lord, by your spirit now, come and restore, come and heal, come and bring your love afresh into our lives that we might live for you and walk forward knowing your grace over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.